Welcome to The Extra Dimension. This episode is part of a mini-series about transportation, largely based on a series of articles on Vox.com. Today, Ian Arbuck and Brian Mitchell will talk about cycling. Find the show notes for this episode of The Extra Dimension at thenexus.tv slash TED13. So, I'm pretty excited about this particular episode because I feel like cycling, bicycling, biking, whatever you want to call it, is kind of like, a, it's, it's a really underrated form of transportation, especially in today's age where, you know, we've, we obviously have a lot of technology available for transportation and bicycling almost seems like it's kind of going backwards, um, but I do it all the time anyway. Yeah. I think there's the classic example of, uh, what is it, is biking the most efficient form of human transportation? In terms of, like, human-powered transportation? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Like, that is solely human-driven. Yeah, I think so. In terms of, yeah, force multipliers for your own legs getting you places, I think bicycling is probably the highest one. So, it makes sense to do yeah. Um, and, and the fact that it is human powered is basically the entire appeal of it, right? Um, because the, the pros of bicycling largely stem from that fact. Because, so it's, it's good exercise, right? Because you're using your own body to get yourself places. Um, going off of that same part is that it's correlated with increased happiness, which, you know, is, is the true for exercising in general, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's good for the environment because we're not using extra energy outside of our own bodies. Um, It's cheap because we don't need engines or energy or anything other than the food that we are consuming. Uh, And and then, you know, of course, they are very, very small because they're just powered by our own bodies. So um, they're very easy to park. You just find a suitable pole or some or tree or something (laughs) to like lock it to and then walk away from it. And if more people bike, then the roads are much, much safer because we're, we're so small. We don't have that much mass. If you run into another cyclist at full speed, it's going to be far less cataclysmic to the two of you than two cars colliding with each other. Yeah. And as the more bikers that more people are biking, there's a greater awareness and, um, I guess, feeling of, I need to be safe from drivers as well, Mm -hmm. just because it's the... If it's more common, you're going to be thinking about it more often when you're driving and watching out for people. Yeah, no, and of course, like more, the more people who bike, the less people are driving, because that's yep. you know that's that's just kind of the the balance that happens. So when there are less cars on the road, there's less of these gigantic metal tanks hurling around at thirty to sixty miles an hour. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I think I mean I really really want to live in a world where as many people as possible bike around. Um, but uh, obviously we don't. We live in the Twin Cities here, which is apparently one of the most bike-friendly like urban areas in America. But we still have uh, something like, f- what, 4% of people who commute to work via bike? Um, yeah. Which is pretty low. Yeah, I think a big reason is, I think in the city, it's probably a lot better than in the suburbs and things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, in one of the articles linked here, it uh, mentioned how 
people often balance how close they are to their common travel places at work or school or something with the price of where they're living and the amount of space or lawn area or the neighborhoods they're in. So I think oftentimes people don't value being close to where they need to go often because they know, oh, I can just drive. If it's an extra five minute drive, that's fine. Whereas an extra five minute drive might be something like it could potentially be five miles if you're traveling on a highway. Mm-hmm. And that that's about as far as you would want to bike in a normal normal day going one direction at least. Yeah, yeah. And especially when we live in cities that are laid out with cars in mind, um, the, those those time differences are going to be way, way higher for for bikes than for cars as you get farther and farther away. Mm-hmm. Um, so this actually kind of brings up some of the cons of biking. Um, it is, of course, way slower than driving, um, especially when the destination is more than like a mile or two away. Um, up, up, there's like a certain radius around yourself where bicycling and driving to a place is roughly, you know, comparable, right? Um, it, I live like 1.3 miles from my work. So I'm very, very lucky in that regard. Uh, so biking versus driving is like, there's just a few minutes difference, uh, between the two. Um, and they're both both vastly different than like walking to it because walking takes me like half an hour to to get there. Um, bicycling is pretty tiring, uh, so it's only really suitable for those who are physically capable of keeping it up for long periods of time, um, which naturally kind of reduces the number of people that that could even feasibly be bikers. Uh, you know, so that's I think that's one of the biggest cons that that isn't going to go away uh easily is is just the fact that yeah it's using your own power and if you can't do that then you're never going to even consider biking as a form of transportation for regular use yeah that can also be related to the pro of good exercise so the more you bike the more in shape you'll be and the easier it will be for you and the farther you can go in a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. so you kind of it's like breaking into a new pair of shoes only instead of a shoe, it's your body. And yeah. Your bike is you. I don't know. <laughs> it's always funny when I'm biking. Like, obviously, it's it's good aerobic exercise, which is going to have benefits no matter what activity you're doing. But, like, the, the muscles that you're working out when you're cycling are very, very different from the muscles that you use when you're normally walking or running around. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of times when I, you know, af- after I've been on the, a bike for a long time, uh, and I get off, especially like at the beginning of like the summer season when I haven't been biking a whole lot. Um, yeah. I'll like, I'll like get off my bike and then I'll try to walk up some stairs and I'm like, holy crap. This- yeah. After you've been, or just like a long trip in one day and you're pushing yourself a lot of the time to go fast, you'll get off, you're just super stiff. And then the next day you're just still lakey. Mm-hmm. And, or like, actually, even worse than walking upstairs, which is just difficult, is walking downstairs where you suddenly realize that you don't have any control over your knees anymore and you're about to fall down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, this is, be safe. Um, so that actually, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, being at the beginning of the summer season, and that's another con is that being on a bike puts you at the mercy of the weather like way more than most powered uh, forms of transportation because you don't have the cabin around you to keep yourself warm or dry, um, you know, protected from whatever weather is out there. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and in the winter, 
um, bicycling becomes, I mean, even if it's not like super cold, um, when it's snowy out, you know, it becomes just as hard to bike as like, as cars have trouble with snow. Whereas walking is, is a form of transportation that is relatively unaffected by how much snow is on the ground, right? Because I can walk through three to six inches of snow just fine without, you know, without my speed being affected or anything. Whereas on a bike or in a car, you're like, oh, I'm going to slip around and I got to go slower so that I, I don't lose control. Yeah. And, and some of these things can be um, uh, made less of an issue with proper, I think, urban planning and um, running and maintaining of these paths or roads by the city. So mm-hmm. in, in Copenhagen, um, people bike all year round. It doesn't get as cold as it does in the Twin Cities mm. in winter, so that's part of it. But yeah, I think, yes, less people bike in the winter, but it still is considerably higher than the probably the best city in the U.S. And... I think a lot of that is, I think the bike paths are cleared before roads are. Oh, whoa. And, um, people are just, it's more of a, a cultural awareness of, yep, I'm just going to bike. It's, it's my way of getting to where I need to go. And so people just bundle up. Um, they pack a change of clothes and they keep going. It's their normal routine. Um, as I was, when I was in Copenhagen last fall, I would frequently see people biking in heels or Huh. You know, in a suit or something, just going about their day to work or something. And um, to just get an idea of how many there were often times where I would be stopping way back behind a couple hundred people on this path, wait for light to go green, move forward, and it would go red again before everyone could go through. So it was multi-lane backups larger than the cars were. So more people were biking than driving at the, this certain time. Wow. Yeah, and and speaking of uh, speaking of clothes, I've I've heard a saying um, that apparently is common amongst Minnesotans, but I've never actually heard a Minnesotan say it. Uh, is that there there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. Uh, hmm. And I think you know if if everybody biked on a regular basis, I think we would we would definitely accept that saying a lot more often than you know, because yeah. because when when you live your life indoors all the time. You know, you're going to be wearing clothing not based on what the weather's like outside, but based on like fashion or what you know what you're going to be comfortable in in a climate-controlled environment. Um, yeah. And I I don't think that it would be a bad thing for us to actually have to worry about what am I going to wear today based on the fact that it's going to be thunderstorming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then of course, yeah. Bikes, biking depends a lot on the city being kind of laid out the, you know, properly for biking, um, which is, I mean, I guess that's not really a pro or a con because driving also depends on a, the city being laid out for driving, you know, um, but living here in America, like cities being laid out with driving as the assumed mode of transportation is much, much more common um, yep. than anything else. Absolutely. And of course, we'll get more into that in our uh, driving episode later on. Um, So keep an eye out for that, dear listener. (laughs) Yes. Um, And then, yeah, quite often, um, 
another another con of biking is that those who commute by bike are not necessarily doing so by choice they are just doing it until they can afford a car um because bicycling is much much cheaper so if you don't have the means to get you know the form of transportation that is best for you um you know then then you're going to be stuck with something else and biking is you know ends up being that form of transportation in a lot of cases um so we you know you, you think about like people who are biking to work and it's tempting to make the assumption that like, oh yeah, everybody who's biking to work are people who are really enthusiastic about bikes who want to be biking. Um, but that's not always the case. And so then, you know, you have large populations of bikers who don't want to be bikers, um, which isn't really, you know, it's, it's not good for the people who are biking and it's not good for like the culture of biking, uh, as a whole. Yeah. I, I found a interesting that I was talking to some Danes when I was in Copenhagen, and they they were saying that when they were in the when they had been in the U.S. they they you know they saw bikers in some cities, but a lot of them were very extreme bikers. You know the biker gangs you might see that have the full expensive nice bicycles, the latex suits, helmets. Yep, the suits, um, gloves, the shoes, the whole works, and that. I only saw that once or twice in Copenhagen, but I saw so, so, so many people, just casual people biking. And I think that's where it really starts to be, be powerful because the the extremes will more just kind of put them off or they're kind of the exception in the general population rather than what you want to be the norm. Yeah, I always, I kind of feel weird a lot of times when I'm biking around and I am just wearing, you know, whatever clothes I'm going to be wearing at my destination, you know, I don't have like a um, fluorescent green vest to put on. I don't have blinky lights all over my bike to call attention to myself. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm hardcore enough, but like, I am biking. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important part. And actually, I have been thinking a lot about like, oh, I, I have this set of lights uh, for my bike. I should probably put them on because I do end up biking in at dusk or after dark uh often enough that it's like it's probably dangerous for me to be out here right now yeah i i always keep a front and back light on my on my bike just to switch on when it's getting to be dark or rainy or something mm-hmm. so let's talk about some of the things that cities can be uh can do to be more bike friendly um so we've got some of the obvious ones like constructing more bike lanes on roads and uh, just, you know, like actual trails for for bikes to travel on. Um, and then, of course, like connecting all those trails together. That's a huge plus because <laughs> if you have a bunch of like isolated trails in a bunch of parks or whatever that you then have to get off of those trails and go on a road to get to the next one, like that kind of defeats a lot of the purpose. Yeah, that more encourages recreation making an event out of it, driving to the place, and then driving back. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in I'm going to keep talking about Copenhagen because that's where I'm most familiar. So um, they their bike, their, their roads are laid out with their uh, car lanes in the middle, maybe one direction, or sometimes on a larger road, two lanes in each direction. They have a little curb, a little step up, and then they have um, oftentimes parking, if there's parking in the street. Mm-hmm. And then the next curve up would be so your cycling, or if there's no parking, it'd be road cycling. And then another curve up, and that's for pedestrian traffic. So they have these physical barriers, and um, 
and these cycling paths are wide enough to have um, a, a lane on the right where you stay and then a passing lane so you can go mm -hmm. in front of people. So it's it's your standard, I guess, um, it's wider than a standard sidewalk in the Twin Cities, but it's like your standard asphalt path that okay. you see like lakes in Minneapolis. So something like, I don't know, five feet or something wide? Yeah, something like, yeah, five, six, something like that, yeah. So, so interesting. So it's like it's they've got multiple kind of tiers of of curbs going up. Yep. So the, it's really good segmentation, which um, really helps with safety because you you notice when you're going on the other lane because there's clearly a barrier there, um, and then it I think it helps with people feel safer when they're biking because there's this separation. Mm -hmm. um, and in addition to having separate paths, they also have at every street light have a separate light for the bike lane so there's the the tall larger lights for cars and then there's these smaller ones the little um little bicycle painted on the lights that will shine you know yellow green or uh red so when do, it's time to go do the bike lanes usually get to go at the same time as the cars that are going parallel to them yep okay i think occasionally the bikes um, are able to go like a second earlier than cars just to start moving sooner. Mm -hmm. um, and then in Denmark, also their stop lights are a little different. So they have, you know, your standard red for stop, green for go. And when you're, when it's about to change, it goes from green to yellow to red. But when it's about to go, it goes red, yellow, green. So if you're if you're biking and you see it go from red to yellow, you just keep going full speed. You don't have to start stopping. And oh, suddenly oh, it's yeah. green. Gotcha. And so the the idea is. By the time it gets to green, you're going at your normal full speed. So you can start and then move when it turns green. Cool. Yeah, I um, biking around here in the Twin Cities, I definitely feel like there aren't enough roads with you know their own bike lanes. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, they kind of do it. They, they, they try to do like bike sharing in, in or like sh sharing the road in kind of the wrong way. Um, cause I've seen a lot of roads that are literally exactly the same as they were before. They just now have painted on like on, on the asphalt, like a symbol of a bike and then a couple of like arrows to say like, Hey, yeah, yeah this is, this is a road that we intend for bikes to go on as well as cars. And it's like, okay, well that, I mean, that's exactly the same as any other residential street that I am going to be biking what you around need on. Is some segmentation. So even like the painted lines on such as say Summit Avenue, mm -hmm. that's, that's, it's good and that really encourages biking, but it's still there's still parking, biking, driving. So cars still will be going across mm -hmm. the bike lane and like and turning because the turn lane is on the other side of the of the bike lane. Yeah, and then if biker wants to turn left, you get into the car. You get into the car lane to move left, mm -hmm. and you act as a car. So, and that's that's another thing that I think is kind of a policy law that can really help with safety. So. Again, in, in, in Denmark, you when you want to take a left turn, you cross the street on the bike lane, and you wait at the other corner, and you you, know, you, you go here, you turn your bike into the bike lane on the across the street, and okay. then you turn screen, and you, then you keep going the next direction. So it's very similar to crossing the two streets to go kitty corner as a pedestrian. Yeah. So then turning right is the same as you would expect it to be. Yeah. And yet when you're turning right, in Copenhagen on a, on a bike, you don't even have to interact with the car road, right? You, cause you just, yeah, you just turn, you just turn right. I mean, you, you signal and you look out. Right. Another yeah. thing 
people are pretty good with signaling in Copenhagen. They, you hold your right arm to go right, your left arm to go left. And they had a, you hold your hand, your left arm up, kind of make a fist. Some people do right angle, some are more the lazy mm-hmm. closer to you, but that <laughs> signals that you're stopping. And so that, that was also pretty heavily used. So if you're coming up and you're going to be turning right or something, you might signal you're slowing down. And so that was very helpful to not crash or be as annoyed with letters mm-hmm. while biking. The bike rage. Now, I I also spent some time a semester uh, in a Scandinavian city. Um, I was in Luleå, Sweden for like four months. Um, and I actually, I opted not to have a bike while I was there, uh, mostly because I knew that if I bought like a cheap bike for four months, I was really, really, really going to miss my nice bike that I have here at home. Uh, <laughs> and so I didn't want to put myself through that. Um, so that's me being a snob there about, about bikes. Um, but I, I noticed when I was, you know, I was living in an apartment building, um, with a bunch of other international students and we had this big old bike rack right outside and, you know, everybody had their bikes there and everybody used them to just bike to the university and bike back. Right. That was pretty much the only places that those bikes ever went. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if we all had just kind of an agreement that like, yeah, if I, if I need to get to the university from here, I can just take a bike and go there, you know, cause there was, there was never a shortage of bikes at either bike rack, you know, there or at the university. And I was like, why don't we all just share all of these so that everybody can use them? Uh, and then none of us have to worry about like, well, I'm going to buy a bike at the beginning of the semester and then I'm going to try and, you know, find somebody to sell it to at the end of the semester because I'm leaving the country and I can't take this bike with me. Um, mm-hmm. so this is my segue into, uh, bike sharing programs, which, um, exist in, in some cities, um, St. Paul, Minneapolis, we've got, uh, we've got some bike sharing things. There are a bunch of racks of like green bikes here. Um, and they're, yeah, but- I was looking through the article. I think Washington DC has them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Copenhagen has them. I'm pretty sure Amsterdam had them. Uh, I know that New York has some. Yeah, um, I would I would imagine Seattle or Portland do as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, Portland definitely probably does. Um and actually there's uh, apparently a lot of a lot of problems with bike share programs um because like for one thing when they're when they're first starting off in an area, usually they'll set them up in neighborhoods where like tourists are going to want to travel around, so they're designing them more around um temporary usage instead of like for the residents of the city. Um, and then as they expand, like they, they still usually stay in the wealthier neighborhoods. Um, so it's, it's not really a good solution usually for working class people because like, um, you know, I, I'm actually an example of this. I live up on the East side in Dayton's bluff of St. Paul and there are no bike sharing, uh, stations out there whatsoever. So I can't feasibly use it. Um, even to, you know, to get from my house to downtown, let alone like get from my house to my work and then back. Um, so, um, so yeah, there's, they're, they're kind of cool. Um, but I feel like the people who are using them, uh, are the people who would be like, who would already be cyclists, right? We're not like expanding this, the bicycling world to a bunch of new people by having bike share programs. Um, which is, which is part of the big hope for them. And I don't think that they're succeeding in that, in that regard. And I think a lot of people use it as a tourism, even residents of a city. So say you, you want to walk to a lake 
rent a bike for an hour and bike around the lake. Like that's a perfect use for in, in, a, if you don't really bike very often, but you want to go biking, you mm-hmm. go find somewhere to bike, you get it, you, you do it and you're done. It's, I guess that's kind of like tourism. You might be new to a city, you want to bike around a little bit, see the places. So you use a ride, uh, bike sharing network to get one for an hour or two. And yeah, speaking of like using them for pleasure, um, bike, bike sharing services tend to not be set up for peak capacity, right? So on like warm days when everybody wants to go biking around, uh, they quickly run out of bikes at their stations. So if you want to be able to use it on a regular basis to be able to get to and from work, uh, it's not really a good solution. So most people who are going to be using their bike, uh, you know, for, for an actual useful purpose, you know, as opposed to a recreational purpose, um, they're going to have to own their own bike no matter what. Mm-hmm. Though I totally love the concept of like being able to just go somewhere using one form of transportation and then choose a different tra- form of transportation to get from there to another place, right? So like if I decided to come here to the studio in, uh, you know, using public transportation, maybe I can bike back home even though I didn't bring my bike. Um, that would be an awesome ideal world. Yeah, I really like the idea of not having to be tied down. So okay, my car's here, which means I have to drive it home, or my bike's here. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I was in Copenhagen, I biked to school. I progressively biked less and less, but in the beginning I biked probably three or four times a week, and then it was more like three or two. Then it was about every week. Then it was about every two weeks. <laughs> and then I ramped it up a little bit again in November, but it was, it was just um, it was a little cold, but also... I didn't really know when I would be going home and it was pretty convenient to, to walk to a metro station and then take the metro home. Mm -hmm. And that can be discussed more in the public transportation. Yeah. So is that when we're going to do a train one? Uh, yeah, I don't know if we're going to lump trains in with public transportation or not. Um, we, we still have a few things to figure out for this mini series. Um, and actually the convenience of that is, uh, you're not tied down to, a physical object so you don't have to bring a bike back to where you live to use it again you can just hop on a bus or a train mm-hmm. and get home and not being tied down to one physical object is going to be a big part of the discussion in our the future of transportation episode um so that's kind of a, a taste of things to mm-hmm. come um so back to back to the subject of ways to make cities bike friendly um obviously we need uh, to have ways to transport bikes around on public transportation systems. Um, so like on your buses, you've got the racks that kind of fold down on the front for you to put your bike on, uh, on, on light rails and trains and things like that. You know, you'd have like, um, kind of bike hooks, uh, probably, you know, in like the kind of the handicapped area. Um, so you can hop on, bring your bike with you and then hop off and bike away. Um, yeah, I think the Twin Cities, Buses and transportation is pretty good about bringing a bike with you. Yep. I think there are only, what, two spots on each bus, but... Something like that. We're often, so it, it works out. I did and, have one time when I when I hopped on the green line, and uh, I was trying to get my bike up on the hook thing, uh, but I have a mountain bike with fairly large tires, and uh, I couldn't actually get it onto the hook. Because, hmm. the you know, the space between 
the hook and the wall was just ever so slightly less than the uh than the than the height of my tires plus the wheel uh so yeah. i i had to kind of stand next to it um at, at, you know to make sure that it didn't fall over <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and in copenhagen the longer distance trains going to the suburbs and things uh they all had spotter bikes so they had part of a car that had a ton of little uh rubber arms that you would slide your tire through and they would just hold it up Hmm. And that was that was good. They did charge extra though, so you'd have to pay like a half fare to also to transport your bike. That's interesting. And then, and then the the metro trains didn't allow bikes on it, and I think buses used to allow bikes, but no longer do because they took up too much space. Yeah, I suppose that comes from having so many people who are using bikes in an area. Yeah, like around here, the vast majority of time, you don't see any bikes on front on the front of a uh, a bus. So then, so because people don't bike as much, having um, a, the ability to transport your bike is a good thing for bikers. It might encourage more people to bike longer distances because you can more, you do multimodal transportation, mm-hmm. and it's good for the company because you have more people riding the bus as well. Um, another way to improve cities is uh, by just in general lowering speed limits uh, on on streets. Um, because, and that, and that's good for a lot of things, not just for biking, um, but for like the general safety of pedestrians as well. Um, because yeah, like it's nice to be able to go fast and get places fast, but also we want to be safe when we're doing it. Yeah. Um, I think, um, yeah, the, the speed limits helps people feel more safe. Um, again, the, I think if, things are separated more so if you don't have your bike lanes in between parking and driving you can have speed limits be a little higher but that doesn't help pedestrians as much either so yeah yeah and i mean like yeah the the interstates are a good example of a place where you can have the speed limit be like whatever you want because there's nobody besides cars on those yeah it's not very pedestrian friendly um now, in addition to like the the types of roads that you have uh, in a city, there's also the layout of the city to consider. Um, so cul-de-sacs, for example, are pretty bad news for walking and biking um, because they they're you know instead of going straight from point A to point B, it you have to go all the way around and you know like do some curves and stuff, which causes biking to take a heck of a lot longer than it normally would. Uh, whereas for cars, you know, that doesn't affect things as much because cars go faster. Uh, so their, their time isn't affected as much. Um, and also for cars, like in cul-de-sacs, they tend to have fewer intersections and stuff. So cars can actually, you know, they don't have to slow down um, and, and stop for cross traffic and stuff. So it's actually... Which makes it even worse for pedestrians and cycling. Right. I think. In, in many cul-de-sacs and things, there aren't even sidewalks. So yeah, really, God, I hate that. Really driving only. I was walking around in, I think it was Plymouth or Maple Grove or something a couple weeks ago, and there were some cul-de-sacs and winding roads, and we were walking on the street because there was nowhere else to walk. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it feels nice, like, you know, for, like from an overall, the neighborhood, you know, feels kind of rustic, feels kind of natural because you've got these... Uh, houses that are spaced out a bit more. They're not like jam packed right next to each other. Um, you've got all this grass and stuff and, and, you know, like 
the the winding roads kind of makes it feel less city like so that i can see the appeal there um but yeah like it, it's basically limiting you to i'm never going to leave my house except for in a car yeah which is ridiculous to me um now the i i can i can think of a few ways to make cul-de-sacs less awful um such as like actually having trails and stuff that go in more direct routes than the roads um which can you know then like actually can add to kind of the the feel of like we're not in a city we're in like kind of a, a um you know almost like a camp setting right because you you know you could you, you would have like a bunch of cabins that are connected by winding dirt roads and then you know there are trails that actually go places um so then you can make a cul-de-sac kind of feel sort of like that and improve the uh travelability when you're on a bike yeah i think trails can help but you i think you'd come across problems with having to connect all the cul-de-sacs together with trails. And then you have a massive tangle of trails for walking and biking and another mess of things for driving. And then I think it just becomes difficult to manage it all. And most people, at least at first, will be just driving. So no one wants to support having to have Mm -hmm. more space between houses, having paths go across their property or whatever it might be. Um, when I was in, in new developments, it might be easier to do. Yeah. When I was in Lulio, it's kind of a funny example of where trails uh, were like a really good option for for travel. Because um, like, for example, my uh, my apartment complex was like a 10 minute walk from the university, right? Because the university, let's say it was here and the uh, apartments were just east of it. And there was a trail connecting them almost almost directly. Um, but the trail went mm-hmm. over this kind of little stream that comes out of like a lake. And um, because of the way the city was set up, the like there's downtown, which is in the, the bay where all of the ships come in, right? Because this is a shipping city. Um, and then the roads kind of go out from there uh, in almost like, you know, like the, the spokes of a wheel kind of thing. And... Because the apartment complex and the university were on different spokes of this wheel, in order to get from one to the other, you had to go down into downtown and then up to the other one. Oh, wow. And, th- and that goes for taking a bus as well. You'd have to bus into downtown and then hop on a different line to get to the university. So, like, walking was actually almost faster than driving to it, which I thought was marvelous. Yeah, that is that is good. Uh, pedestrian driven design and it's and it, it, it was definitely cheaper for them to build a trail and a pedestrian bridge going over that stream than it than it would have been for them to build a road you know across there with a bridge and everything um so it's yeah i, I think that was a, a a good a good solution for the the layout that they ended up with yeah so in the, the cul-de-sac example here so i think Grids, or at least mostly gridular, that's a word, is going to sure, help we'll go with because it. it allows you to be more direct, so you can cut across a certain way. And that the same article that discuss, discusses cul-de-sacs also um, talked about zoning in a city. Mm-hmm. So if you have this massive area that is all commercial zoned, for example, let's say Midway in St. Paul, another area that's all residential, say, I don't know, some house in Highland Park, um, you, 
you're going to be a mile away, you know, you're quite a far distance away from where a bunch of stores and things are. So if you have more uh, pockets of commercial zones or some things mixed in with residential, you're going to have things be a lot closer together so you can have everything you need within half a mile of you instead of having to go three or four miles away to get whatever you need. Yeah. And that can encourage more walking or biking because would you, I mean, at some point you'd rather just walk two blocks than drive two blocks. It's just, it just seems silly to drive. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have to like carry something, um, which is, you know, like, yeah, the, the one exception when you're going to need a car uh, is when you've got to haul stuff. Yeah, I would I would much rather have all of the amenities that I need uh, available in a, a short radius um, than have a city that is that is, you know, nicely built for cars. And it's easy to get from one place to another. That's a long ways away. Um, but, you know, then then I have to use a car instead of, you know, going under my own power. Um, and it kind of, you know, having all this stuff close together uh, having mixed use areas kind of makes the whole metro area feel like a series of small towns, uh, which I think is kind of a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Though I, I don't think there's really anything that can solve the issue of like, okay, so I've got some friends who live over, you know, in in the uh, West Metro area, and it's like, okay, if I want to go uh, visit them, uh, I'm, I've either got to choose between like, a two-hour bus ride uh, with multiple connections or borrow a car and drive there? I think uh, the solution to that long-term is more train routes that have stops in the center of... So you have like a central station in every suburb town or something. Mm-hmm. And you go there. So you take a train into the, the town you want and you bus from there. So mm-hmm. you have more... Less... So it's kind of... I guess you could think of it as an express. So you have... I don't know. In a town like Minneapolis or St. Paul, you might have several stops, but I don't think even as frequently as the green or blue lines. So you stop every three to five minutes versus every one or two. Yeah, that's that is kind of one of the problems with the green line, right? Is that it it is basically the same route as existing bus routes, and it doesn't really go much faster than the bus routes because it's it's still stopping like pretty frequently. Um, we can get more into that on the uh, transportation or the public transportation episode. Tune in later for more. Yeah. Uh, I like this. I like this. Having something else to plug while we're talking about uh, our current subject. Um, and then, of course, there's just the the concept of like making things as easy as possible for people who own cars, um, you know, especially like financially. Um, so obviously... The U.S. government subsidizes gas a lot, right? Uh, so, oh, yes. so gas is a heck of a lot cheaper here than it really should be. Um, but also, like parking is is quite often subsidized um, in such a way that, like, people who live in a metro area who have decided not to use cars are losing money to the parking because it's you know it, it's coming out of tax dollars. It's you know it's mandated by the city that. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these parking parking lots exist, uh, you know, there's so much capacity. Um, and just per... street set parking where you have the road could be half as wide if you didn't have parking mm-hmm. and it has to be cleaned. And so um, it just it, you know, it adds up. I think that this 
see Marvel article you've kind of been going on is, or said that it's about as $127 billion annually for the free parking subsidy. Yeah. And actually one of my housemates, he, um, so we, we live, you know, just up on Dayton's bluff, which is, uh, a very quick bus ride or bike ride to downtown. Um, and he worked at the Minnesota virtual high school, which is based right, you know, in, uh, in lower town. So very, very close to us. Uh, but he decided to, uh, take his car downtown all the time because his job gave him free parking space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, well, it, okay. Yeah. That makes sense for like, as a decision just for you, but, um, it, it takes away kind of the bigger picture thinking. Yeah. Personally, when I go downtown, I would rather take the green line or a bus just because I don't have to deal with parking. Even if it's free, it's just so much stress driving through one-way streets and all the cars and narrow roads because it's older downtown area. And so it's just easier and more worth it to me to just take public transportation. Oh, yeah. And if if I was uh, going to be driving to work in downtown... Uh, you also have to deal with the fact that everybody else is driving to downtown at the same time as you. So the congestion is huge uh, trying to get out of or into downtown. Whereas if you're on a bike, it's like, okay, I'm on a sidewalk, whatever. That is illegal, though. You should bike well, on the okay. street. Well, no, I'm thinking, thinking, I'm thinking about the, um, like, a, a large part of the, the journey for me is the Kellogg Street Bridge, which, okay. you know, is you, you have to be on the sidewalk when you're biking down it or up it. Okay. Yeah. What's the speed limit on that bridge? It used to be forty, and okay. now now they brought it back down to thirty. Hmm. That was that yeah. was quite the fun uh, drive when going down that uh, down that bridge because you could just coast and uh, go forty miles an hour. It's like wee. Yeah, you could probably hit forty miles an hour if you're on a bike too. I probably could. I probably have. Um, yeah. I start to feel a little insecure when I hit about thirty. <laughs> have you ever gone down like Ramsey Hill? Uh, I've definitely biked up it. I don't know if oh, I've that really gone down it too much. What I find is almost the best hill to go down to gain speed is going down Hamlin, cl- going towards Highland Pool. It's not a big hill, but it's it's there's a long enough stretch with no light when you go past the golf course. Okay. It just slowly goes downhill, and you can just zip by if you catch. Actually, there's a light there. I think it's Ford or Highland Parkway. If you catch it right, you can just zoom down at 30, 35 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used or to have, Randolph if you head towards downtown. I used past. to have like a, a really bad second-hand, third-hand bike that uh, you know the the brakes were um, questionable at best, and uh, I <laughs> I ended up going down Ramsey Hill once or twice, and just like the borderline terror of of realizing that yeah, if that light down there changes, I'm probably not going to be able to stop in time, and there's a bunch of cars that are going to be turning to get onto the highway front you know like right in front of me and i'm just i'm gonna run into one of them yeah i think um if that road was straight out designed for biking they wouldn't have a light there at the bottom mm-hmm. so they'd give priority towards people coming down a little more or as you see in highways sometimes around mountainy areas the emergency pull-offs for stopping for trucks that have their brakes go out oh yeah yeah <laughs> a little uphill portion to stop that would be, be funny curious. funny to see that for bikes as well <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all that we have for biking here. Um, as I said before, I, I encourage everybody to bike around as much as possible. 
Um, even, even, you know, from my house to Ryan's house here, I bike that as often as I can. Cause that's a, it's a good 40 minute bike ride, but, um, you know, I think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Of course I didn't do that today because my bike is down at camp right now. Uh, and I just happened to be here on my, on my week off. Uh, but I didn't bring my bike back up with me. Yeah, well, that's what public transportation is for. Exactly. Tune in next time. Again. <laughs> so thank you for joining us, everybody. Um, if you have an idea for another uh, subject that we can do here on The Extra Dimension, because this is our variety show, uh, go ahead and click that contact link right underneath our names. Uh, once again, the show notes are at thenexus.tv slash TED13. Uh, so that's where you'll find links to all of the articles that we were just talking about. Um, and, uh, and that contact link is there as well. Um, yeah. And if you want to be on any of our shows, let us know as well. We always love having new guests. Uh, so until the next one, have a good one. Have a good one. And don't forget to ride a bicycle. And, don't, and watch out for cars. Absolutely. <laughs>